The following was recorded during the COVID-19 pandemic through Zoom meetings in accordance with local health guidelines. So my name is Chalmer Williams and my testimony of how I came to uh, to the faith to coming to know my coming to Jesus moment all started in college. Uh, I was about 22 years old and senior year in high school uh, or senior year in high school, senior year in college, uh, getting ready to graduate and uh, a friend of mine uh, that's still friends to this day named Alonzo. Um, we had met uh, in the basketball courts of the uh, campus on the bleachers. Um, he didn't know me, I didn't know him, but somehow we shared mutual circles. And so he was a few years older than me and he was a part of a ministry called Campus Outreach, uh, you know, where they minister to college students in, in various different ways. And so uh, we, we hooked up one day and he shared the gospel with me. And, uh, you know, you know, the age old question, if you die today, you know, where do you think your soul would go? And most people would say, I don't know, but I said heaven. And so he said, why do you think you would go to heaven? And as I began to explain, I realized in my heart that my answer wasn't uh, solid or wasn't grounded in what the truth was. It was based on, you know, pieces of stuff I was piecing together based on what I saw in church and experience, but not knowing for myself. And so um, I could have said the Lord's confession right there and been saved, but just wasn't ready because, you know, he was talking about the Trinity and he was talking about, you know, John three sixteen and, and, and how much God loved you so much that he died. And, and, you know, for the sins of the world. And all of that was new to me because I didn't come up in that type of, uh, uh, I guess, religion, or I didn't come up that way, let me just say it like that. You know, I came up in a way that you you speak in tongues as your way to get into heaven. You speak in tongues as your way to uh, call yourself saved or filled with the Holy Spirit. And so it was all like new and and you know, I just didn't understand. And so time went by um, and Christmas break came. I thought I was going home for Christmas break and I end up not going home and make matters worse. Um, I was doing some things I wasn't supposed to be doing. You know, these are the years of early Fast and the Furious movies. So I had a souped up car and I'm flying down the road. And, you know, I didn't have a license. My license was suspended. and you know, didn't have proper registration. I'm just driving pretty much. And so get pulled over three days before Christmas and I get took into jail, you know what I mean? Car gets impounded the whole nine. And so while I'm in jail, all I can think of is that conversation I had with Alonzo just a few months prior. And, you know, I felt so defeated, I, you know what I mean? I was alone and, and nobody's on campus and I couldn't go home. All my money, I spent uh, bail money to, to bail myself out. And so by the time I got home, make a long story short, it was one or two in the morning. And I went down in my apartment on my knees and I just told God, you know, I'm tired of living this life. 
I'm surrendering everything. I don't understand, but I want you to come into my heart and I'm ready to make a commitment. And from that day, that was uh, December uh, 2004. That's when my new life began, and, uh, walking with Christ. Happy Father's Day, everybody. Welcome to the Mr. Misfits podcast. This is a co-op episode. It is not just Mr. Misfits. Welcome to the Fatherhood Fridays podcast as well. If you are listening on Friday, it is Fatherhood Fridays. If you're listening on Tuesday, it is Mr. Misfits. If you are listening on Father's Day, happy Father's Day, because then we all know it's really Sunday. So um, <laughs> today we are... We have a, a, a really cool opportunity. We actually already recorded this, but we decided, you know, it wasn't good enough. We're going to do this again, and we're going to do this in a much more uh, planned out way rather than us just kind of freestyling talking. But I have with me the host of Fatherhood Fridays, so it's coming a very good friend of mine, Chalmer Williams. And we are here to actually talk about this idea of what biblical fatherhood is, what the role of a father is, and why all of this stuff actually matters. So, Chalmer, welcome to Ministry Misfits, and of course, this is your show, so how's it going with Fatherhood Fridays? Well, Fatherhood Fridays is going good, and and, uh, thanks for having me on. This is exciting uh, to be able to do a crossbreed between two episodes that will be airing at the exact same date and time. So uh, we on this in Fatherhood Fridays, we are doing well, uh, heavy into season five and, and just trying to keep the train moving. Yeah, and so for you Fatherhood Friday people, you probably heard me before. I was a guest on Chalmers' show earlier on in season five talking about the loss of our daughter. Um, we are in the middle of season one of Ministry Misfits. This, I don't even know. I, I gave up trying to count what episode number I was on after like number five because I, I yeah, had already messed it, it, it up. Yeah, it confuses me too. <laughs> yeah, I I gave I gave up real early because I realized I forgot to record something and then it got thrown in the middle and then we switched some stuff around. So you know, we, my my listeners already know math is not a strong suit, and so they probably gave up after episode two of trusting me with my episode numbers. But we are in season one, I know that. But um, today we are, yeah. <laughs> today we are going to talk about. Um, this idea of fatherhood and what this actually means for us, um, both from a social standpoint, but especially from a biblical standpoint for those of us that are believers. So let's start there. Chalmer, give us give us some basic definitions. What is the definition of a father biblically? Uh, but then also, what is this social idea of fatherhood that we see more often in culture? Well, that's a great question. And I would start off by saying the biblical uh, definition of a father, you know, comes from the Hebrew word Abba, right? And, you know, that is the one, you know, who actively provides guidance, love and support to enhance the development and growth of of your purpose or the 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 people that you care for, and so that will be uh, in a nutshell, biblically, how you would define uh, biblical fatherhood or nurturing fatherhood. Um, I believe biblical and nurturing fatherhood goes hand in hand um, with those meanings. Uh, mm-hmm. 
social fatherhood, it's become uh, a question mark over the years. You know, it keeps getting redefined and we don't have these concrete words to define fatherhood because of the absence of fatherhood and many other things I'm pretty sure we're going to go into. And so you'll right. often hear people say that fathers are provider, fathers are protector, uh, fathers are, you know, uh, workers, but, you know, provider, protector, worker of what? Like, you can go so many different ways with those uh, definitions, you know, and a lot of times socially, when it comes to fatherhood, we define it based on our own uh, lived experiences, what, mm -hmm. what, what, what we saw growing up, you or know, what we didn't see, or what we didn't see growing up. Thank you. And so it begins to shape our uh, cognitive thoughts, self-concepts, and uh, esteem and behavior of what we think fatherhood is. I had one time, this was years ago, uh, a, per a kid told me that fatherhood is just a person that pays child support on time. Mm -hmm. I mean, do you see how minimizing that is? Like, a father is just a person that pays child support on time. And that, that I think is where we actually need to start is this idea of we need to really define this idea of nurturer um, because, you know, they're, depending on how you describe nurturing of a child is going to really affect, you know, what level, you know, what level we're on when we start talking about this idea of a father versus a nurturer, you know, somebody that is providing money for the food and for the water and everything else, you could probably qualify as they are nurturing their child but that's not really what we're talking about when we're talking about the idea of a nurturing father so give us give us a better understanding of what it is you're talking about here absolutely and so you know when we think of nurturing or nurturer the uh, you know for most of us women come to mind mm -hmm. right Women come to mind as it comes to a nurturing mother, a nurturing woman. We don't necessarily think that fathers can be nurturers. And it's it's so far from the truth. And a lot of that has to do with, you know, societal norms. But let me kind of wrap that up and just answer the question. Uh, you know, a nurturing father is a one that cultivates and supports the attitudes and skills of their children, hoping to benefit them as men and women in their, their relationships and in who they need to become. Mm. So it's not enough to be present, but we have to be uh, involved. And I think a lot of times saying just being present there's nothing wrong with that, but the standard is so low that it's like, as long as you're in the house, that's good enough. But no, like you have to be involved and you have to be in tune with your children or the the people that you have called to father, right. you know, if you're a father figure. And, and that's what, you know, well, we can, you know, start kind of drawing in the first question a little bit. This is where you know, biblical Christian fatherhood kind of separates itself out from societal is the idea of that last piece of nurturing of getting them to, you know, 
helping them develop what, you know, to where they're supposed to become really is, you know, it's the same thing we talk about when we talk about discipleship of it, it's more than just being there and occasionally, you know, playing with them or occasionally take, this is about it's full development on full scale from physical to mental to spiritual development of how do they become the person that God's actually designed them to be. And that, that takes way more than just, you know, being there on a regular basis. It's, it, there, there's so much more involved to that. Right. And studies have shown that children who spend time alone with more than twice a week with their dad or father uh, have a higher sense of empathy and become mm-hmm. more compassionate as adults. Right. Right. This and is that, the father, yeah. not the mother. This is the father. A child that spends at least twice a week with their with their father or dad become has a higher sense of empathy and more compassion with adults. And that that I think is what really, you know, we can start going into some of the, the deeper stuff here. That really kind of explains why we see what we do right now. Um, you know culturally as a as a country as far as this lack of empathy coordinated with the the lack of an actual understanding of what the father is supposed to be and where they're supposed to be at and i you know i don't know if it's necessarily completely proportional or not but you know this part of this is really a fact that we have not done a good enough job of actually you know talking about the nurturing side of fatherhood within a church context because we like to you know, we, we talk about, you know, David going out and slaying the giant and defending, you know, defending God and defending country and all this. And we we look at all of these different biblical examples of what we're trying to say biblical manhood is supposed to look like. And we're completely ignoring this other side. You know, we still have this 1950s mentality of leave it to beaver. Right. But right, even in right. that setting, we actually see a father that is somewhat nurturing but we we ignore that part of it because we just want to focus on that he's out there making a bunch of money so that way you know his kids can go do what they're they're wanting to do and you know there's food on the table and everything else and we completely miss an entire section of who that is and you know you and I talked about this the first time we we recorded this but right really is a misunderstanding of who god is Right. Absolutely. Because the idea is, like I said earlier, when we don't have a concrete idea of what fatherhood, then it becomes these two extremes of either total toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. Like you were describing, David, he he's out there slaying the giant. He's he's killing Goliath and, and and cutting off his head and so but he's also the one on the roof watching his neighbor bathe and then going and getting the husband killed right you and, know and, and and we talk about that constantly but we don't talk about the the passive side of David and how he was a worshiper at heart or mm-hmm. how he was a poet or, or or just how he you know shouted until or, or worshiped God until his clothes fell off we, we touch on it, but we really don't talk about it because it doesn't look masculine to the mm-hmm. average man. And I believe that because of history, you know, in society, we want to look at fathers 
in one macho way or now a metrosexual way. And, and either one of those are unhealthy. Right. And, and this is where, you know, for, you know, Mr. Misfit, CSRM people, this is where we get into what we always talk about with the continuums and the paradigms of, you know, there's bad, there's one extreme over here. There's one extreme over here. And typically what we find is that the biblical model is somewhere in the middle. Um, and, and, you know, and that, that's really what we're wanting to get into a little bit here today. But first we, we need to address, you know, one, one prop, one side of this that unfortunately is, is an all too real reality. You know, it, Typically, this is a reality that is associated more with the African-American community, but we all know that that's not actually reality, that this is a you know worldwide, multi-ethnic, there, there is no divide here of the idea of an absent father and what that is and why this is a big issue. So, Chalmer, go into, give us a little bit of the history here, because you, you said, you know, you just came back from a conference that gave you a lot of good insight into a lot of this stuff that, you know, it, it changed, not necessarily changed your thinking, but allowed you to really expound on it a little bit more. So what is the this idea, the history of the absentee dad? So if, if we're just focusing on America or the United States, uh, and I'm going to just start with my race first. Uh, fathers or dads have never, from the beginning of the inception of the United States, fathers or dads have never had, or Black fathers or dads have never had a equal opportunity to be a nurturing father from its inception. And so let me explain. Let's talk about something uh, like slavery. Mm -hmm. slavery men and dads were considered sperm donors and labor so from the jump you were automatically impregnate your wife and then you were separated from her to go out and work and then you were sold to you know the older you got you know you were sold to another family and another another black family impregnate that woman mm -hmm. and then go out in the field and work or or be a, an indentured servant or a house slave so you see from the jump we're not even connected with our family we're so focused on work we're so focused on being a sperm donor that from the from the beginning of slavery we've never had an opportunity to be a nurturing father because slavery automatically took us away and us meaning African-Americans took us away from our wife, took us away from our kids and we had to work and then we got sold and put in another family and had to produce more kids with another woman we don't know. And the cycle just kept going and going and going. And th this is something for for people, you know, you and I actually next week, we, we've already recorded this, but um, next week, Mr. Misfits, you know, Chalmer will be back with us and we're going to be talking a lot more about this sort of thing as far as what systemic racism and assimilation and code switching and all that stuff actually looks like in today's terms. But, you know, th this is one of the things that um, Lecrae, 
actually was the first person I ever actually heard talk about this, of the idea of, you know, deadbeat dad was, you know, taught to us, at, you know, Absolutely. when we were slave. And it, it completely is countercultural to what we see with in the continent of Africa, especially within, you know, more of the tribal areas of Africa. Right. It's family centered. It's much more about, you know, it's about the community. It's about all this other stuff. And so the, the idea that because you are black, you are automatically going to have this as a father situation. First of all, is a horrible stereotype and a racial stereotype, but beyond that, it's something that even if that was the case, this is something that was brought about from a, a, a white supremacy movement within the, the, the chattel slave era that was taught and the example was set. And so, you know, th this is one of the arguments that I don't know why it's not brought up more when people try to argue the idea of, you know, gang violence in the inner city as a reason to not, you know, support social justice movements. The, the idea of, you know, the gangs and all this other stuff where you've got, you've got a bunch of boys who never had dad around, that are trying to figure it out for themselves and trying to provide and, you know, keep themselves alive. Even if that was the real reality for every black male in America, the, the cycle that started it was started by the white, you know, the white slave owners. Right. So we we've been embedded to focus on work and be in, mm -hmm. uh, sperm donors from the gate of, you know, us coming to America. But it doesn't end there. Let's talk right. about war. Let's talk about the Civil War. Let's talk about World War One, World War Two, mm -hmm. the Vietnam War, where not just African-Americans now, but all fathers. Uh, a lot of them had to be enlisted in the military. And that's another example of being separated from your family. So now, because of the wars, the multiple wars I've just named are going on, and it's a draft where you don't have a choice. You have to do this as a part of representing your quote unquote country. But you just had a newborn over here. You, mm -hmm. you have a family with two kids, but the government doesn't care about none of that. So now here's another example of fathers being detached from their families. All those wars I just named. Now we can, we can, here's another example. We can talk about the war on drugs, the mm -hmm. war on poverty. Now we're moving into the 19th century, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, things of that nature. These things that were addressed, war on drugs, war on poverty, specifically targeted a lot of men. And yeah. a lot of men being African-Americans, Hispanics, whites, to tackle Low, this thing yeah. called poverty, to tackle this thing called uh, drugs. And what it did was lock a lot of people up, get a lot of people out the home because you're already uh, on the poverty line. And so in order to keep your rent at $25, the male can't be there because they're going to consider that as a second income. So the male has to live elsewhere just so... <laughs> 
your family can be supported by the government and there's no real opportunity to to connect to bond to nurture as a dad so we can and, even go as the hospital for for a long right. time the the man wasn't even let in the delivery room you had to wait outside in the waiting room with a cigar and hope a nurse come back and say you got a boy or you got a a girl but you weren't even you weren't even allowed to be in there and i'm not making an excuse for fathers not being nurturing but from the beginning we haven't been given especially african americans and minorities we haven't been given the opportunity to be shown what it looks exactly. like exactly and that that's something you know even you know, if, if people want to ignore, you know, excuse the wars because they were, you know, necessary for survival, you want to excuse the racism because you don't want to see it. Even, you know, the the railroads, the highway, the industrial revolution here in the U.S. was, you know, just as as much of an example as these other things, too, because you've got, you know, you're, you've got fathers that are offered a good amount of money to go, you know, build this railroad system. To, to build these highways, to build these skyscrapers, bridges that die, you know, die from this dangerous, dangerous work. And now here we are again, where now we've got these kids being having to be raised without their dad. You've got, you know, the the Great Depression era of mm-hmm. you've got people that are having to work so much. They're gone. This is not just a, you know, a war racing. This really is a unfortunate cultural phenomenon that has kind of come about not just in the u.s this is really a western model but as as much as we've tried to progress and tried to build up you know the nation and build up our financial status the more that we continue to see the cycle go on of dad's job is to go and make the money and mom can take care of the nurturing but the result of it is that now you have kids with no dad and now with the new economic crisis now we've gone a step further where now it's not just no dad in the home now it's also no mom because even the stuff that dad is making is not enough to support the family right so we've lost all of this nurture side of you know the the nurturing side of things is is just gone at this point Right. So then we fast forward to 2021 and there's a lot of dads out there and they're being expected a lot more of them than just working. I know my wife Mm -hmm. does, but when you've never been shown the necessary tools on how to be a nurturing father, it's all new to you. You're Mm -hmm. just content with going to work, coming home, taking out the trash and doing the bare minimum or being a disciplinarian, you know, just handling the bad stuff from your your child making mistakes or, you know, getting in trouble in school, you're just looked at as a disciplinarian. So to be looked at as more than that and looked at as a nurturing father is something new for this generation, is something new for some of us. And, you know, I I would argue that, you know, it's not a nurturing father doesn't mean you're a metrosexual you're, and mm-hmm. you're into more things of a woman, but it just means, you know, if we boil it down to the black or white, 
is that you are in tune with your kids' needs and wants and and in tune with who they can become. And this is something that, you know, we'll we'll continue this discussion a little bit more, you know, next week even more as far as what this looks like in in a societal standpoint. But um, probably we should make this clear also just so people know where we're coming from. You know, I grew up in a two-parent Christian home. You grew up in a two-parent, I believe you said it was a Christian home also, correct? Yes. Yeah. Yes. You know, we we both grew up with with um, you know, examples of what a father is supposed to look like. Um, but it doesn't change the reality that a lot of people did not. And a lot of our listeners, we we're sure a lot of our listeners probably are ones that did not. Um, and so it doesn't just because we grew up with the the reality of dad being in the home and dad being nurturing doesn't mean that this does not exist. You know, just because you grew up with a nurturing father does not mean it does not exist. This is an, an an unfortunate reality within today's society and today's culture. Um, we we've got a little bit of time here um, left. Give us. Uh, Dahmer, give us these these things you you uh, brought back from your conference. What are these five constructs that lead to abusive and damaged relationships as a father? Well, I'm glad I'm glad you asked that. Um, five constructs. These are characteristics that can lead to, like you said, an abusive and non-abusive parenting behavior. And to be truthful, you know, Andrew, I've fallen victim to these behaviors just because of the some of the experiences I've been through uh, growing up and, and, and how my parents were. They did the best they could, but it's just, this is what it is. And so I'm going to list the five um, unrealistic development expectations, uh, the inability to empathize with child's needs, Reliance on corporal punishment, uh, parent-child role reversal, and oppressing a child's behavior and independence. These are the things, uh, uh, characteristics that can lead to an abusive and non-abusive parenting. And it all comes from this idea or notion of parenting from fear and violence and that is tied in with toxic masculinity yeah and you know this is also an area unfortunately that um you know going going into the ministry misfits realm here of what we do with with our three tier this is another big big area where we see people misapplying biblical mandates and biblical principles um, you know, as far as what parenting and fatherhood is supposed to look like, you know, when some of these ones that you're talking about, especially the ones that are more violence or disciplinary in nature, there, there's been a, a history of, you know, looking the other way when dad is in an abusive setting with their children because of the fact that's looked at as, you know, the verse of do not spare, you know, don't spare the rod and your child will grow. 
that that's not at all what scripture is actually talking about. Cause like we just said, we're talking about the fact that God has this nurturing attribute to him. And we see that in the way that, you know, we see that in the old Testament, we see this in the new Testament. Mm-hmm. This is, mm-hmm. you know, God, God is not just fire and brimstone, even though that's what unfortunately some churches try to try to paint God as. God is also one that shows loving mercy that, you know, his mercies are renewed, you know, since they're as far as the East and from the West, there, there's a whole nother side to it. But unfortunately what we, we like to do is we like to look at this idea of don't spare the rod. And we like right. to turn that into, well, because I am the father and I have fought, you know, father superiority and father authority. I'm, I do not have to I do not have to follow such and such a, you know, pain management, all these different attributes that typically get brought up by psychologists and things like that. Those don't apply to me because as a Christian father, my job is to discipline my children. Right. But what I would say, and I'm not telling a a, a dad not to spank their uh, child, um, but according to this program that I, I, or conference I went to, virtual conference I went to, Two things that that struck a chord with me. One is that when you uh, rely on corporal punishment, this idea of spanking or whooping your child, your child's ending result is trauma. Mm -hmm. They are left with trauma and and it and it stifles their mental growth. And, you know, and the word you use, two words that you use there, I think, are the key to actually understanding this. One of them, as you said, rely on. And, right. you know, when, when it becomes the only the only thing you can do is rely on this one. That means that, you know, you're you you either you've tried and you think you failed. And so you're not trying any other methods or it means that this has always worked in your family history. And so it always is going to work now, which now we're back to again, what we talked about with the absentee fathers and the toxic masculinity of the cycle is continuing. Right. And and the truth be told not to cut you off. The truth be told is, is that a lot of us just don't have enough tools. Right. When it comes to parenting, you know, they don't, you know, you don't understand this thing called, you know, restorative practice or restitution or, you know, um, you know, just conversation. You know, the Bible talks about more uh, teaching, training and correction than it does corporal punishment. Right. And this is where, you know, that that right there is where, you know, that second word you used of trauma, you know, we we think of trauma as a, you know, it's always a bad thing and there's no benefit from it. But, you know, the reality of trauma is that trauma in small doses is actually a it, it is a psychological to, tool to tell us, you know, it's a traumatic experience when you stick your hand in a fire and it burns, but it teaches us not to do that again. And this is where, you know, again, when if you are not relying where this is the only recourse you have is, you know, physical um, discipline. 
when that's the only recourse you have, it's going to go beyond just trauma of, oh, this is not a good idea. I should not do this to this is the only thing that my parents are capable of doing. And that's when the damage starts to come into the relationship. And unfortunately that is a lot of time, you know, historically of what we hear from, you know, from kids that are now in the, Oh, I would never, I will never, you know, spank my child or the kids are like, I will only spank my child is the trauma has gone from a tool to teach to this is the way that it always is done. And so this is the way either it's never going to be, or it's always going to be. Right. And, and Romans tells us that, you know, Paul says it in Romans eight twenty eight that be ye transformed mm-hmm. by the renewing of your mind. It's, it's a mind thing. You, you're not, you know, compelled to spank your child. You're not a robot. It's what's been in your mind and what you've been trained. And so you have to retrain your mind and be open to different tools because this, there's also a statistic that says that the more that fathers are in tune with their children, the less likely they will spank or whoop them. Right. And, you know, and this is something, you know, I have a toddler at the moment who, you know, cannot understand some of these more complex things. And so, you know, spanking is much more of a go to at the moment because it's more of a matter of you've got to learn. But timeout is is also an option, things like that. But as she gets older and can understand more. The the punishments, the disciplinary things are going to going to be able to develop with her because it's it is about this idea especially for again those of us that are are coming at this from the idea of biblical parenthood Mm -hmm. you know and like you said at the beginning of the idea of developing into who they should or who they can become and especially for us again from biblical model of the people that god is shaping them to be this is much more than just oh they did something wrong so they're being punished this is okay this is you know this is my child but i also know that this child is a sinful human being that needs the grace of god and so my job as the parent is to train them up to understand that they need god i need god we all need god to be able to redeem us and to do this idea of transforming our mind and renewing our mind and reconciling our actions And once we allow that to kind of shape the perspective of which we face this idea of discipline, you know, the idea, you know, the, the whole phrase of, you know, this is going to hurt you more, or this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you ideal of punishment becomes a reality because you don't want to punish them because the reality is that you're punishing them for something that you yourself do on either did on a regular basis at their age or you are doing on a regular basis still in a much more adult form mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. without the the discipline without the idea of it's an empathetic nurturing and a discipleship and it's the idea of you know correction not not discipline it's correction they're not going to be able to become the person that God is you know God is wanting them to become Right. And and I mentioned that in the five constructs, the inability mm-hmm. to empathize with the child's needs. You know, when you know your children, it's easier to empathize 
with them uh, and understand, you know, especially, you know, my kids are seven and five, understand where they're coming from and the things they're supposed to do or the things that they're not doing. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, no, I, I absolutely get it. And I think the the place I want to go before we we close out here is reread number five. I think it was number five. Okay, number five is oppressing a child's behavior and independence. Yeah, I think that I think that was the one. Maybe it was four, but yeah, I think that was one where you so know, four, four is parent child uh, role reversal. Oh yeah, it's no. We were going with five. Four is okay. pretty self-explanatory. If your kids are raising themselves and are doing the disciplining of you, then we, we that's a whole other conversation that uh, we need to have. Uh, <laughs> number five, though, is the one that, you know, this is something that needs to be talked about a little bit more. And, um, you know, you and I may not even be the ones necessarily to do it. This is one that gets much more into people that specialize in early childhood. But this idea of oppressing or suppressing individuality within children um, is becoming a it's one of those things where it's becoming a much bigger debate now with the fact that we actually understand. And this doesn't just apply to this situation, but this is what, you know, I was thinking of as you're talking about of the the understanding of the autism spectrum within children is, you know, we, we see, and this again goes back to the empathy as well, is, you know, there are some children where these actions that we don't want them to do for whatever reason, whether it's because of a toxic mas- masculinity thing, whether it's, you know, what whatever it is, we don't want them doing this. It may actually be that this is the person that God has created them to be. You know, there are there are kids that they cannot handle the large crowds, which is perfectly okay because they are going to be much more of a individual type person. You know, you've got some kids that are, you know, they they don't do well in a classroom setting. But if you sit them down, they're going to be able to teach you what the textbook is actually talking about on a specific subject because it just clicks with them. And when you start to do these cookie cutter approaches to things. We, we again, we're repeating that same cycle of this is the way it always has been. And so this is the way it's going to be, or this is the way it's always been. And we don't want that anymore. So this is how it's going to be. Right. We've, and, and we've that, taken away the creative angle of our kids and the individual angle of our kids. And actually, you know, this does kind of tie into number four. In some cases, we do need a little bit of the role reversal because our kids can teach us some different things about ourselves as well if we allow them to be the individual God's created them to be. Yeah. And I think that, you know, number four is talking about putting the responsibilities of a parent on a right. child or, or specifically right. the oldest child. You know, I, that, that was something that I dealt with growing up, you know, having to watch my siblings and what have you. And so... You know, but if we're talking about five, we're really talking about oppressing a child's behavior is is oppressing their personality because you feel like uh, a young boy shouldn't do that. A young girl Mm -hmm. shouldn't do that and not allowing them to have uh, the freedom of some choices. You know, Jesus gives us freedom. He doesn't force his will on you. It's a choice. 
it's a choice to serve God. You know what I mean? Nobody is forcing me to, to believe in God, to worship God. It's a choice. And so, you know, God is never oppressed, you know, my, my behavior, you know, and so we shouldn't, uh, oppress our children's behavior because what that does is it leaves them with a low self-esteem. Right. Uh, if you force them and not give them choices, then they say yes to everything. And what if their boyfriend, girlfriend, or spouse is doing something that's not right? Well, mm-hmm. their whole life they've been taught and been conditioned to say yes, and they don't know how to say no. Exactly. And that, again, is part of why that that cycle is what we unfortunately see play out in a lot of our, our communities today is this idea of either on one side of the relationship, all they've ever seen is nothing but discipline and violence in the discipline form or the flip side of where it's you are not good enough to be the person that God has created you to be. So you need to try to fit this model. And if you don't, then you're not doing it right. So we've got to, we've got to make changes. And those two things, when they come together as a perfect storm for domestic abuse, domestic violence for, you know, family, uh, you know, family strife, family trauma, family stress, the, this, this unfortunately, and, and a lot of it does come from this idea of, Society has always said, this is what a man looks like. Right. And when you lose the other side of the continuum of, you know, the the more nurturing side and you only focus on one. Then it just continues the cycle of either abusive husbands or abused fathers, one or the other. Right. And and that's why, you know, for me, you know, I really took notes on that and I really wrote that down and meditated on it because a lot of times you don't even know right. that you are a part of these five constructs because it's it's so normalized, you know. And so we want to break that and we want to retrain our mind into a, something that represents who Jesus is, who God is, his spirit and his characteristics. Right. So that's a, we, I believe that's all the time we've got for today. Um, Minister Misfits crew, Chalmer will be back with us next week. And we are going to look at some of these other cycles um, that, you know, that we see here in the U S um, and he's, you know, he's cut, co- going to be able to to provide both a personal perspective as well as help us understand a theological perspective on a lot of these issues. Um, if you would like to support Mr. Misfits, you can do that in a couple of ways. One is just by sharing, sharing the podcast, whether that's the audio podcast or the video, which fatherhood Friday people, if you want to see the video version that we, we have a little bit of a note taking system on the side. Um, if you want to go back and, and watch the video, You can do that either on the Ministry Misfits Facebook page or you can do that on our YouTube channel. Both of the videos will be there and you can get some better notes that way. Um, If you would like to support Ministry Misfits, again, share the videos, share the podcast. You can also financially support us in two ways. One is at anchor.fm backslash Ministry Misfits. Click on the support button there. If you'd rather do it for a tax credit, you can do that by going to csrm.org backslash donate then click on the actual donate button 
I promise eventually we will get that fixed. Um, and then you just select Andrew Fouts in the drop down menu. That money not only goes to support Mr. Misfits, but also goes to support the CSRM mission and vision at large internationally. Um, Chalmer, any any sign offs you want to do for Fatherhood Fridays? Uh, Fatherhood Fridays uh, weekly episodes air every Friday. Um, it, you can catch them. I, I air them as early as seven in the morning. Uh, stay tuned. Go to the website www.fatherhoodfridays.com if you would like to listen to old episodes. Um, you can support me as well uh, by going to the support tab and clicking three times, and you can donate anywhere from nine ninety nine cents to nine ninety nine. Um, and that's about it. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know why. It seems like we can never get donate buttons to work the first time on websites. It's probably a good thing considering that, you know, the toddler can take your phone and, you know, she she purchased me a, uh, a $80 video game for Father's Day one year accidentally when she got a hold of the controller. So uh, it's probably a good <laughs> thing we've got these safeguards in, but it can be very annoying when you're trying to raise support. So anyway... Go. Happy Father's Day to all you fathers, um, whether that's biologically or you are the father figure. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, um, you can do that either through my Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. That's at Ministry Misfit. Um, or you can email me at ministrymisfitmedia at gmail.com. You can also get a hold of Chalmer through his website at fatherhoodfridays.com or .org. I already forgot. Uh, .com. .com, fatherhoodfridays.com. You can get a hold of Chalmer there as well. So thank you all for listening. And Ministry Misfits, go check out Fatherhood Fridays. Fatherhood Fridays, come check out Ministry Misfits. We will see you all later. The Ministry Misfits podcast is a production of Overwhelming Victory Flicks, Overwhelming Victory Radio, and Ministry Misfits Media. Dr. Greg Linville and Andrew Fouts are our executive producers and Brandon Simmons is associate producer. Our music is provided by Morning Light Music and is titled Rain. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can email us at ministrymisfitmedia at gmail.com or by following at ministrymisfit on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. You can support Ministry Misfits at anchor.fm forward slash ministrymisfits or for F01C3 credit by going to csrm.org forward slash donate and selecting Andrew Fouts in the campaign menu. To learn more about Overwhelming Victory or to listen to our sister podcast, visit overwhelmingvictory.org.